0: Today's reading is Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. My name is Glenn. If you're visiting here today, it's great to have you here this morning. Um, As you've heard from the reading, um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1 this morning. And uh, you're probably going to need a Bible, uh, not only to revisit some of these words that we just read, but also we're going to look around a little bit today. We're beginning a brand new series. We love doing series through the books of the Bible at the Rock Church. This is a brand new year, Um, and this, this, this letter has, I've been praying about it for months, about what to do in the new year, and this letter is just, be, the Lord keeps bringing it back to me, back to me, and I, I'm, I'm amazed by what I've been learning about a letter that I've read, I don't know how many times, and I'm sure you have, and so my hope for us as a church is as that we go through this letter. This could take two or three months to get through this letter. It's only six chapters, but we're going to take it slowly, mostly verse by verse, and so I just really want to encourage you, uh, besides your daily readings, to be reading this book as we go through it so that we're fresh and we're always into it. I want to remind you also that um, we want to encourage people through, especially because of our missional community groups, that if you're unable to make uh, a Sunday service uh, from time to time, which is allowed with, with permission, um, you know, uh, th- that is possible to catch up and keep up. And we want to encourage you to do that. And so you can go online at any time to therocksquamish.com forward slash Galatians, and you can listen to the podcasts, and you can get, you can download the post-Sunday content that we use for our missional community group Bible studies, and that's pretty important so that we can stay in this together as a church. Because that's how I believe God wants to teach us as a church. It's how he did it in the beginning of the church, way back when. And Galatians actually is one of the first letters written in the Bible, ever. Written in the days of the apostles. So that's kind of interesting. And it was shared amongst the churches. So we're going to dive in this morning into the introduction of this uh, epistle and this letter. And before we do that, I'd like to pray one more time. So if you would pray with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together as the church to come and uh, to be here, to be, to be uh, people who hear your word and, and hear from you, Lord, not from me as a man, but from you, Holy Spirit, dear Lord. We pray that you would speak to us today. We thank you for the opportunity for our kids to be, to be taught about you, Jesus. And so we pray for all of those who are in Kids Rock and Pebbles and, and caring for our children today. Lord, thank you for those people who serve. Thank you so much for them. Uh, Father, we just pray today, one more time, that as we go through this today, that you would, you would speak to our minds, that you would tell us through your minds the truth of your word, but also, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. We just pray that your word that would go from our head to our heart would really change us today. So I ask these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, as I said, this letter is likely, there's possibly one other letter, experts are unsure, was one of the first letters ever written. In the days of the Apostles. Now that's an interesting point. You may want to keep that in mind as we go through the letters, because what that means is, is this letter was written by the Apostle Paul before the Gospels, before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before the book of Acts. You know, the whole history of the church being planted and spreading to all the nations as it did. And so that's that's an interesting point. The overall theme of this letter, and we've been singing about it a lot today, is that our chains are gone. The, the theme is freedom in Jesus Christ. In fact, the, this, this letter has been often titled a number of different things. One of them is the Magna Carta of, of Freedom. Uh, another is the Charter of Freedom. And, and one that's interesting is called the Christian's Declaration of Independence. I want you to remember that one because I'm going to show you something interesting a little later about another Declaration of Independence that we all know pretty well, I think, even though we're north of the border. and uh, But it's, it's interesting. So, Early in the 1500s, Paul's writings took a deeper significance uh, in the life of the church, and it was because of a man who at the time was a Catholic monk, uh, and you know him by the name of Martin Luther. Many of us know who he is. He, of course, was one of the key theologians to break away from the Catholic church in a what was called at the time a protest movement, which is why we are called Protestants today, Right? Uh, And and he led basically something called the Reformation. And he's really well known for his 95 Theses, which was basically his his 95 different declarations of biblical questions and, and, quite frankly, disagreements that he and many others at that time had with the Roman Catholic Church. And at one point in time, he actually took it to the Basilica and nailed it to the door, right? But one of the things most people don't know about Martin Luther who's really one of the fathers of the modern Reformation, of which we are now Protestant churches, is that he also wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. In fact, it was his commentary on the letter to the Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians, that became the preaching of the Reformation. He's as quoted as saying this, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. It is to me, as it were, that I am in wedlock, to this letter. So the theme and message then of Galatians is, as I've stated, freedom. That's the theme. That's the overall overarching theme of this letter. It's the message of liberty from every type of bondage and slavery that we humans find ourselves in or have given ourselves to. It's incredibly practical. It's 2,000 years old, yes, but it's incredibly practical, incredibly relevant, and as I think you're going to see as we go through it, it's powerful. It's powerful. So on the subject of freedom, um, I know most of you know this, but I, I, grew up, I grew up personally in the most rebellious generation of all time. Okay? You, you millennials that are out there today, you have, you, don't hold a candle to us guys. right? We were the baby boomers back in the 60s, early 70s. I know I don't look that old, but trust me, it is the truth. Right? We, we grew up in this period, and I recall very well at that time in my high school years, the rising up of many, many different liberation movements that have morphed several times in our culture to this day. We were the first, literally, quite frankly, to rebel against the man. Right? You know who I'm talking about, right? The police, right? Any authority. We we rebelled against everything that was going on. Every known authority. We rebelled against our parents, the police, the government, our, our school teachers. Uh, you just name it. We rebelled. We saw the beginning at that time of the women's liberation movement and every other liberation movement. There was the Vietnam War a few years later and everybody wanted to be liberated from the bondage and oppression of that and, and being sent over there, which is why we have a lot of Americans who come up here and they're Canadians today, freezing to death like the rest of us, but they're here, right? And so we, 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 we gave ourselves the free speech, right, and all these different things, freedom from authority. And I'll tell you what, at the time, most of the guys that I knew in high school, I'm not saying this was me, right? But most of the guys in high school at the time, they were more than happy to carry a woman's lib banner. Why? Because it meant free love and free sex. That's that's what the word was at that time in, in our lives. It was everything about freedom, being free from all kinds of authority. Ultimately, ultimately, what we were looking for was freedom from what? Responsibility. That's really what we were looking for. Especially the kind that was imposed on us by others. And it started with our parents, and it spread from there. And so do you know what we found out in the end? Guess what we found out in the end? None of this was freedom. None of it was freedom. None of it at all. In fact, all that we had done was traded one form of bondage or slavery for another. And it's the same today. It's exactly the same today. Nothing really has changed in our world today. We're still talking about freedom, but the reality is, and listen, I think we have a really good example in our world today. I've been saying it for years about politics, but lately I think most of you would agree with us. Right now we have probably 50% of the people in the United States of America who are feeling free from the bondage and slavery of the previous government, and yet 50% of the people are thinking, oh no, we're in bondage and slavery for the next four years, right? So it it, it never ends. I mean, the reality is freedom in human terms, I would suggest to you, is an illusion. It's an illusion. We have all kinds of ideas of what it looks like, but it's really an illusion. And so as we turn to Galatians, we are going to be brought face-to-face with the antithesis, the complete opposite of what our culture has come to know as freedom, and so as a result of believing that truth is relative, which is where we are today, that there's absolutely no truth, we've ended up quite frankly in the mess that we're in today. And I know life is great, guys, listen, the, the weather, you know, the snow and we can do wonderful things and life is great on a lot of levels. But the truth is, come on. There aren't too many days that go by where we don't look around and go, the world's a mess. The world's a mess. My life from time to time is a mess. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. So Galatians is going to spell it out very loud and clear for us, and it should be really good news. There is freedom. There is something that is called freedom. Paul will show us that what Jesus said, look at this, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is declaring the opposite of what our culture says, is that there is truth. And of course, we know that Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, defined in a person, defined in God himself. And then the apostle Apostle John concludes a few verses later where he says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so Paul's going to show us that the only way to know true freedom is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to see it. Now, sadly, despite all of this, people in in that day, as we will see as we go through this letter, and of course today, still think they can find freedom elsewhere. Every generation is trying the same thing. I tried it, you're trying it, everyone else will try it, to find freedom in in other ways, in in religious rituals and practices and philosophies, in Pharisaism, uh, Pharisaicalism, however you want to pronounce it, which we're going to see really brought out in this epistle. Um, whether it's man-made, self-righteous, morality, materialism, naturalism, atheism, self-help, self-reliance, and of course, potent- a politically correct tolerance. Everyone is looking for freedom through these things. Freedom is found in doing whatever feels right and good to you. Live and let live would be the mantra of our world. Amen? That's where we're at. So Galatian comes along and, and declares that true freedom is found in Christ. And Paul is going to unpack this theme for us from two perspectives. He's going to unpack it for two perspectives, which is for everybody in this room today. I don't know all of you here today. I don't know where you're at spiritually, where you are at with Christ, with God, but he's going to unpack it in two, from two perspectives and in two ways. First, salvation. Purely from the position of salvation, Paul is going to show us that every human being in this world, on this planet, has exactly the same problem. We are not free and cannot know freedom because we're all in bondage. The Scripture teaches us, and this epistle will teach us, that we are in bondage primarily to one thing, sin, brokenness. We're in bondage to that. However, you can come to Christ, and Jesus is the one who has the power to set you free. Paul will flesh this out in Galatians. But secondly, he will also speak directly to those who are already Christians or believe they are. And what he's going to say to them is, uh, he's going to ask, now that you have found freedom in Christ, why are you putting yourself back into bondage? And that in the first couple of chapters is really the main message of this letter. And so Paul's going to teach us two things. To you who aren't free, let me show you how to become free. For those of you who are already free, let me show you how to enjoy your freedom and resist going back into bondage. So we're going to look at this in uh, about four different ways today. If you have, this is something I'd really encourage you to do. Grab these sheets that we have up front here. If you haven't already got one, you could do this. Um, I'm going to go through basically four points today. What's going on? Galatia is number one. Who is Paul? What's going on today? How we see this same problem picture coming out in our world today? And then last... Paul's gospel, the short version, okay? So point number one that we're going to look at here this morning is what's going on in Galatia? Why is Paul actually writing this letter? Now, as you noticed probably from the reading, it's different than the way we write letters today. Usually when you write a letter today, it's dear so-and-so, you write the letter, and at the end you sign it, Glenn love, whatever. Glenn, right? And, and it's different that day. You put your name up front and then you declare the, the message and then you maybe sometimes near the end tell people why you're doing this or what the purpose of the letter is. The Apostle Paul in chapter 6 verse 11 says this. This is interesting. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, at first, when you read that, you might be thinking, okay, Paul's really old when he's writing this letter because, you know, like he's writing big letters because he needs to read big letters. No, actually, he's not that old yet at this point in time in his life. He's probably in his late 30s, 40s. Some of you probably think, that's old. No, it's not, right? Trust me. But it's because of the fact that typically Paul dictated all of his letters. Typically, he would dictate his letters to someone else. He would walk around, talk, speak them out, pray, speak them out, and someone else, like Ticetus, would actually, that was a guy's name, who would write his letters, would write the letter for him. This tells us something very important. Paul was in a hurry. Paul didn't have time to find someone to dictate this letter to. This was urgent, to write this letter. Something was going on that caused Paul to have a sense of urgency. In this, And we find out a little bit what that urgency is in the verse after what we read this morning, which says this. Paul, Paul literally says this. I am astonished. That word in the Greek, we'll get into it next week, this, this is a powerful word. He's, he's like beside himself. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So it's just about... 10 to 15 years after Paul has planted and established the churches in Galatia, and just like has happened before, false teachers have shown up after he leaves attempting to preach a different gospel. Basically attempting to distort and, and teach people something different than what Paul has taught them when he planted the church about Jesus and about the gospel. And so Paul's writing this when we see this when we combine the facts that this is so urgent it's first of all he's disappointed in the believers in that community for being frankly a bit gullible for just listening to these false teachers that come in after years and years of hearing the gospel and seeing Jesus do miraculous things in their lives and the lives of their communities but he's also, quite frankly, I would suggest to you, based on the words that we see here, astonished and so forth, he's, he's preaching a little angry here. <laughs> he's writing with a little bit of anger, with this urgency that he wants to write to them about. And actually, you'll see in verse 7 that he, he, he's angry because these people who are coming in, these false teachers, want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm hoping that you will take away today. If you take away one thing from this message today at the beginning of this epistle, which I think is really important that we set it up this way before we dive into it, it is this, you can trust the word of the world or the word of God, but only one will set you free. Not can, might, will set you free. So this is a little bit about what's going on in Galatia, what, why Paul needs to write this letter. We'll see more of that. Let's, let's move, move on to point number two about who Paul is, and we'll begin with verse one of Galatians 1, as already has been read. I'll read it and put it on screen for you one more time. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So who is Paul. Now, I know many of you in the room already today, you've you've heard some of the stories. Maybe some of you don't. So we're going to do a little quick flyby survey uh, of the life of Paul, of who he is. Most of you know that he started off with the name of Saul. He is from a place called Tarsus, which is in modern-day Syria, which is pretty interesting considering today's events and what's going on. He would have been born actually around the exact same time as Jesus. So he's about the same age as Jesus would have been when Jesus was crucified, And he was alive at the time and certainly knew about what was going on in that community. But it's interesting that we learn a few things about him. First of all, he was raised in a very orthodox and faithful Jewish family. They were probably quite wealthy, and we we assume that because he went to the best of schools. Gamaliel was his rabbi who was considered the number one rabbi in Jerusalem at the time. He excelled in school. He was like, he was zealous for the things of God's word. He rose very quickly in the religious system of that day, becoming a Pharisee of the Pharisees, becoming one of the leaders, quite frankly, of that community. But he was also known to be, early on in his life, a bit of a hothead. He really was. He was quite zealous for things of the Lord. And in fact, that, that's what actually brought him to the point of, of wanting, when he heard about these Christians and this, what he thought was a false messiah, he, he was thinking, well, this is, this is something that needs to be stopped. And so we first meet Paul in, in Acts at the, 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 the killing, the murdering of the first Christian martyr of Stephen. Paul is there, and we read in Acts that he approved of Stephen's murder. He approved of it. Later on in Acts 9, we read these words. But Saul, this is in verse 1 of Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters. So Paul's at this point going, okay, this thing is exploding, right? Churches are getting planted all over the place. People are getting baptized in the fountains of Jerusalem. This has to stop. And so he actually goes to the high priest, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and says, listen, you give me the authority and the right to go and put these people to death, stop this and I will do it. And they do. They give him these letters. So Paul heads out to Damascus, on the road to Damascus. And at that time, about halfway to Damascus, he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. It happens in a remarkable way as recorded in the scripture by Dr. Luke. He comes face to face with scripture, with Jesus. And, and, and literally, when Christ comes before him, he is literally blinded by the light of Christ, the brightness of Christ. When he is displayed in his glory before man, he is so bright, he blinds Paul. And so Paul can't see him, but he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response is, who are you, Lord? The words that he hears next probably devastated him, if not scared him to death. The words are, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He's then told that he needs to go to Damascus. He'll need help to get there. There's a bunch of other guys that are with him, and it's recorded in the book of Acts that they all heard the same voice. They heard the exact same words. They saw what happened to Paul. They didn't see either, but it's recorded that they heard and were witnesses to this. He's told to go to Damascus, and he's going to run into a man by the name of Ananias. And we're also told that these men are with him and didn't see him, and so forth. But this man, Ananias, at the same time, receives a vision directly from Jesus, who tells him about Saul, and that he needs to take care of him. And what Ananias does is kind of funny when you think about it. He kind of goes, hey, Lord, do you know where this guy is? I mean, he's the guy who's going around putting... It's kind of funny, right? Because God, Jesus... Anyway... Jesus replies and says this to Ananias. This is Jesus, recorded in the book of Acts by Dr. Luke. He says this. Go, do what I'm telling you to do, essentially. For he is, look at this, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias does what the Lord asks. He tells Paul that Jesus has appeared to him. He lays hands on Paul. His sight is restored. The, the scripture describes it's like scales falling from his eyes, and his sight is restored to him. He receives the Holy Spirit and immediately he is baptized. It's a complete miracle. Saul becomes Paul and becomes a Christian on this day. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. So it takes some time before the rest of the apostles back in Jerusalem get to meet him. And when they do, they're more, there's more than a few of them there that are a little bit skeptical. There's kind of two parties there, right? There, there's a number of them there who go, wait a second, isn't this the guy? Like, he's been trying to kill us. But also, there are a number of religious Jews there who, who are like, wait a second, this guy's a traitor. And so initially, when he first goes to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, they're, they're hearing good testimonies about him. He's met Barnabas by this particular time, and Barnabas is saying great things about him, about what God's doing through him too, and his bold preaching, and dec- declaring Jesus, and the whole story. But they, they see that he's probably going to get killed, and so they say, look, you need to go, right? And he does. For the next 12, 13 years, he and Barnabas take off, and they go plant churches all over the known world at that time, including Galatia, including in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, which is where our, our story today begins. And so that brings us to the next words in, in, in this, this particular verse. First we have Paul, and now we have an apostle. So you would think at this point, you know, 12, 13 years later, after all these things have happened, that Paul's apostolic authority would have been accepted and respected. No. <laughs> no. From the moment Paul becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, whether it's the Jews or the Christians, there is skepticism about him. The original skepticism would dog Paul for much of his life and much of his ministry. The reality is it wasn't really his apostleship that was in question. What was in question was his teachings, what he taught. That's what was in question. And ultimately, it was God's word that was in question. But first, let's have a little bit of a look at what they might have been questioning. You've got to remember, Paul's received a letter here or a report from someone that something's going on in the churches in Galatia, and, and he's, he, this is urgent. This is a problem. This is possibly going to lead these young believers in Jesus Christ to stray from their faith. And so he feels, I have to write to them. I have to make sure they understand this is false. So what were they questioning? Well, first of all, number one, he wasn't one of the original 12, was he? He wasn't one of the guys who Jesus walked along the seashore and said, you guys, follow me, you follow me. And one of the 12 that were appointed by Jesus literally and, and saw him during his life, he would have known about Jesus, he would have heard about him, but he wasn't a follower at that time. So he wasn't a capital A apostle. And so they would have known that. And some of them were making an issue about that. But the word apostle in the Greek is actually, interestingly, the word apostolos. We get the word apostle from it. It literally means, though, in the culture, small a apostle simply means sent one, like a missionary, like someone going to declare. So it literally means a sent one. So Paul was an apostle, certainly in that sense, but he was a very unique small a apostle, don't you think? A very unique one. He did meet, although not see, Jesus. He did. He was commissioned directly by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles. About 13 years after planting churches, Paul and Barnabas again go back to Jerusalem because there was some trouble brewing in the churches. Guess what the trouble was that was brewing in the churches? Same as what's going on in Galatia today. False teachers were coming in at that time. They're called Judaizers. And they were coming in and going, whoa, 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 whoa. All of these Gentiles, and you've got to understand, Jewish people in that day, Gentiles, bad people. <laughs> they can't be Christians. They can't be Jewish. But if they're going to be Christians, the word was... Well, they got to become Jewish first. And of course, the big deal on that day was, the best sign of that was, you need to be circumcised. And so they were bringing that into the church. Paul and Barnabas are seeing this happening in the churches of that time. And they're like, this has got to be stopped. So they head back off to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas meet with the apostles. And it's really the first big doctrine meeting in the Bible. It's the first conference that's being held on doctrine in the Bible. And and they're meeting and they're debating and they're discussing. But it's the apostle Peter who steps forward in that meeting and says, guys, guys, we've got to listen to them. This is serious. We need to listen to them. And so the meeting ends in total agreement on the subject. And Paul and Barnabas head back to making disciples. But this will dog Paul's ministry for the rest of his life. And it will include his credibility as an apostle as well. And his authority. So you might be asking me at this point, why all this background? Why is all this important? Those five verses, can we just dive in? Can we get into this? It's, it's really important. Because the problem that was happening before is the same that is happening now in Galatia and for other reasons that I want to get to with you this morning. So this letter to the Galatians is, frankly, Paul's response to either a personal report that he has received from the churches or a letter that he's received. He's heard that false teachers have arrived. After he left, and they're calling into question his apostolic authority, his teachings, and after discrediting Paul, which is the way all people who discredit Paul do this, they then start to add Jesus plus or Jesus minus to the gospel. They start to add that, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to do this in order to be a Christian. Or you need Jesus, but maybe not this stuff over here that Paul teaches, as we will see. And so that is really the first reason. The first reason why all this background, so that we understand the context of that day. We understand what Paul's writing into, what's going on in that church, and why Paul opens this letter with his name and his credentials in such an emphatic way. The literal, literal Greek simply is this, Paul, apostle, not. <laughs> in the literal Greek, right? And we get out of that, now there's a few other small participles that follow that, and we get from that, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. That's what we get. But it's Paul, apostle, not, is the literal Greek. And so he's very emphatic about this. I didn't get this knowledge from anyone. I am Paul. I got it directly from Jesus Christ. And I'm declaring that to you today. So let's recount Paul's credentials one more time. He's commissioned by Jesus. It was witnessed by others. right? Ananias, Barnabas the apostles in Jerusalem, all the churches that he planted. And then there's one more piece of evidence for you and I here today. It's a writing that happens many years later, after Paul has written almost all of his letters. And it's from, it's from the first among equals. In Jesus' 12 apostles, there was Peter, James, and John. Those were his, his inner circle. But there was a first among equals among the early church. He wasn't the first pope, as I'm going to point out to you this morning. But he was Peter. Peter. He was Peter. And Peter writes in 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, this to the churches. He writes this about Paul. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he goes on and says, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote. Our beloved brother Paul. Now there's another recording in Scripture where Paul actually challenges Peter. And calls Peter out for being a bit of a Pharisee. For his double standard about eating with Gentiles in front of Jews. And on and on it goes. And yet these are the words of Peter about him. To you, According to the wisdom, look at this, given to him. As he does in all the letters, all the letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now look at these words. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. No kidding, right? The actual literal translation there would be, Hard to accept. That's what it literally means. Which look, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Very hard words on one hand, but also very supportive, would you not say say, or see that that way, of the apostle Paul from Peter. And so this brings me to my second reason today. (laughs) And it's point number three in your notes. What's going on today? This is emphasizing today, and it's the big idea for us today that I want to bring to you from this text. It is this. Paul isn't so much defending his own authority. He isn't so much defending his own apostleship. He's not that proud a guy, actually. He could care less what you think of him, honestly. He's defending the word of God. He's defending the literal word of God, is what he's doing. He's defending the gospel. And that's what is under attack then. And please hear me today. That is what's been under attack since that day. Paul is discredited, dogged by false teachers, and Pharisees since that day. Let me give you a few examples of how that has happened throughout history since the birth of the church till today. And I I give you these examples because here's the deal. We're, We're not just coming here as the church to hear these things and to become stronger and better Christians so we can go home and go, I'm a stronger, better Christian. No, it's so we can go into this world and tell people about Jesus and that they can be set free from the bondage of their sin through Christ, but also we can care for our brothers and sisters who might be being led astray by false teaching. That's critically important. Now, I've also already mentioned a little bit about the Reformation, but between the years of AD 300 and the Reformation, which began in the late 1400s, the church was the Roman Catholic Church right? That's what the church was in the world. And that's what Martin Luther and others rebelled against. Why? Because the church had become a papacy. Peter was turned into the Pope, and and Paul's teachings were diminished in the Roman Catholic Church. It was Martin Luther who saw Galatians and went, it's by faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. And this was the birth of the understanding of the truth of the gospel, which was written by Paul. But it goes on in history. You might be surprised. I've got some examples for you this morning. Anyone know the poet Robert Frost? I loved him in high school. The road less traveled. He's awesome, right? He didn't like the Apostle Paul very much at all. He wrote these words. Paul's in the Bible too. He's the fellow who theologized Christ almost out of Christianity. Look out for him. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? James Baldwin was the most noted uh, black American author of the last century. Um, Very well read, um, very well respected in in American culture. He wrote this about the Apostle Paul. The real architect of the Christian church was not the disreputable sun-baked Hebrew, Jesus Christ, who gave it its name, but rather the mercilessly fanatical and self-righteous Paul. You got a feeling he didn't like him too much, right? doesn't like him, doesn't care for him very much. Well, here's one for you. Thomas Jefferson. Most of you will know who he is, even if you're not American. He was the third president of the United States. He was also one of the original crafters of the what? The Declaration of Independence. What is, what is the main line we get from the Declaration of Independence? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He got that wrong. He got that wrong. If you want to put happiness anywhere, make it life, happiness, and the pursuit of what? Liberty. He had this to say in his letter that he wrote. He wrote this letter to William Short in his original draft of the Declaration of Independence. He happened to put in a comment about the Apostle Paul. Well, why would he do that? Well, this is what he said. Paul was the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. That's incredible. Now, of course, whenever you're talking about somebody who has kind of an odd opinion of Jesus or the Apostle Paul, you've got to talk about Gandhi, right? I mean, so so here's a quote from Gandhi, and he said this I draw a great distinction between the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus and the letters of Paul. No kidding. Friends, this is what happens all the time in our world today. People are happy to say, Listen, I, I love Jesus. The words of Jesus are awesome. Jesus doesn't say anything about certain things, but Paul. I don't know about him. You know, he talks about these things Jesus never talked about. And, he, and, and that's been going on from number one. So this is what Gandhi sees. Paul's letters are graft onto Christ's teachings, Paul's own gloss, apart from Christ's own experience. So, so I want you to see that this has been going on since Galatians. It happens consistently. It's not so much Paul, although it is about Paul, but it's about the authority of God's word. Well, it's gotten worse in our day-to-day. I'm going to mention a couple things to you today. These might seem shocking and and discouraging to you on one level, but it's important for us to know this. There are more and more, uh, thanks to the internet, which I love, trust me very much. uh, But there are a lot of bloggers out there and authors out there that just have an audience, a very wide audience. There are two or three very popular um, uh, women authors and bloggers who've been writing quite a bit in the last five or six years about the Apostle Paul, and then going on to teach other things that they've they've come to realize. And one of those uh, bloggers said this. She said, as a woman, I've been nursing a secret grudge against the Apostle Paul for about eight years. Well, that's honest, at least, right? And I never liked the Apostle Paul very much. Another said this. To me, he was a misogynist, a bigot. He was narrow-minded and bossy. He was snippy. I mean, sure, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. But instead, I camped out in the Gospels and John's epistles and Hebrews in the Psalms and Proverbs. So I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, both authors uh, said that they had read Paul. (laughs) And in plain English and plain language, what they read, they did not like. I read things of Paul. says I have to get up here and preach to you. They did not like. But it's also interesting. You can see the past tense there, right? The past tense is, well, I I at one point didn't like him very much. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love the word of God, except what Paul wrote. But something changed. What changed was, essentially, they have found theologians or speakers, preachers, who have been able to reinterpret the words of Paul, so they are now more acceptable. They are more palatable. One of those speakers that uh, people like very much these days in the liberal progressive camp would be a man by the name of Peter Enns. He's a discredi- discredited seminary professor who was asked to resign from Westminster Theological Seminary in 2008 because not just about his views of Paul and the book of Romans, but his view of most of the traditional doctrines of the Christian church, he was asked to resign by a seminary. But, but he's the go-to for a lot of people today who question the Apostle Paul. He had this to say at one point in time in his, in his article and his, and his essay about the book of Romans. As he introduces it, he says, as I read... Romans. I don't walk away thinking, my, what a carefully planned out letter. I think more, Paul's just winging it. Hey, listen, for whatever you might believe about anything I've been saying this morning, trust me when I say this, the book of Romans is a theological gem. There isn't a theologian or commentator for the past couple of thousand years (laughs) that hasn't stopped at the book of Romans, the reason why it follows the book of Acts is because it is systematic theology most brilliantly stated. Is it difficult and hard? You bet it is. It's the word of God. It's the words of Christ. He is the word of God, not just the words of Paul. And so that's the beginning. That's how we take down the apostle Paul so that we can teach what we want to teach. we got to bring him down a little bit. That's the guy we got to bring down if we want to be able to say, well, you know, they, Paul, it's been going on for a couple thousand years. About uh, six or seven months ago, Tim Keller, very respected pastor and, and theologian in, in Manhattan, New York City, he was being interviewed um, on television in uh, America, on today, the Today Show, I believe, and, and he was being asked by the commentator, because of our culture, to, to, to speak about homosexuality and specifically about Paul's writings in Romans chapter 1. And I'm not going to quote what Tim Keller said, uh, although it was beautiful. You can go online and you can Google it and watch it on YouTube. It was a beautiful, graceful explanation without backing away from the truth of what Paul says. But it was graceful. It was loving, which is what Jesus would do. Peter Enns saw that interview and he said this. Here's where I feel Keller's ear should be closer to the ground. Meaning what? closer to the culture, closer to what the culture is saying and teaching. I see this sort of reassessment, look at that, reassessment happening now all over the place. Evangelicals looking for an alternate explanatory paradigm. (laughs) That's an interesting way of saying something other than what Paul is actually teaching so that it's acceptable to us in our world today. Other than a tradition that rests on an inerrant Bible, for how to live on this planet. So Mr. Peter Enns does not believe that the word of God is without error. He doesn't believe that. And that's one of the reasons why he was asked to leave his seminary that he's at. Many of you have heard of the name of a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens. He passed away in the last couple of years. He's a renowned author, speaker, atheist, right? He's one of the people that in this world today, most Christians would wince and go, oh dear, along with Richard Dawkins, this guy is like, wow, right? But I quite appreciated him, quite frankly, because he was, first of all, brilliant. He was a great debater. He, he, He would really tackle things very upfront and directly, and he was good at it. He was hostile to Christians at times. In fact, in some debates, he would just beat them into the ground and make them look foolish, but for a good reason, I would suggest. In the last four or five years before his death, he partnered up with a couple of Christian pastors whom he actually quite liked. One of them was a man by the name of Doug Wilson. I think I have a picture of yeah, Here we are. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is on your left. Uh, Doug Wilson, pastor on his right. And, and, and they, they did a series called Collision, which is a series, I believe, of six video debates about God and the Bible and and you name it. And um, it's interesting. Hitchens was once interviewed about this whole series and about his relationship with Doug Wilson, and he was asked, you know, it seems odd, but you you normally go after these guys and you kill them. (laughs) You just destroy them. You make, make them look foolish. Like you're really ruthless. But with him, you seem to be like easing off a bit. You seem to be nice towards him. Why are you doing that? And Christopher Hitchens' response was, well, because he believes what the Bible says. His actual words in the interview were, Wilson isn't one of those evasive Christians who mumble apologetically about how some of the Bible stories are just metaphors. He is willing to maintain very staunchly that Jesus of Nazareth was was the Christ, and that his sacrifice redeems our state of sin, which in turn is the outcome of a rebellion against God. He doesn't waffle when asked why God allows so much evil and suffering. Of course, he allows it, since it is the inescapable state of rebellious sinners. Sounds to me like Mr. Hitchens knows his Bible, he knows the gospel, he just laid it out. And then he says this I much prefer this sincerity, right, to the vague and Python, Monty Python esque. Witterings of the interfaith and liberal ecumenical groups who barely respect their own traditions or Bibles. So here's the deal. The number one thing we can take from a guy like this is, I don't respect people who read the Bible in plain English, and it says something, and then you try to whitewash it and back away from it. He said, I may not agree with you. I may disagree with you vehemently. But if you at least stand behind what your, your Jesus says is the word of God and what his commissioned apostles say is the word of God, I may disagree with you, but I respect you. I respect you. In another interview, he was, he was, he was uh, uh, speaking at a church. He talks about speaking in a church in... Um, Southern United States, I won't mention where exactly. And, and he asked the pastor in front of the congregation, do you believe that the Apostle Paul calls homosexuality sin in Romans 1? He said after about 30 seconds of the pastor humming and hawing and the congregation groaning because their pastor was unable to properly respond, Hitchens said, now that's what I don't respect. That's what I don't respect. Christian... Christian. It's the Word of God. We can stand by it, because it is the Word of God, and we can believe it. So here's the point. As we open up the letter to the Galatians, the question of Paul's authority is not the issue to us today, nor was it in that day. The issue is the authority of God's Word. Again, I want to suggest this to you. You can trust the Word of the world or the Word of God, but only one can set you free and will set you free. Paul's argument is trust God. Lastly, Here's his gospel in four points. He gives the gospel. He, 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 this is the thing that he's writing against, and we need to understand and, and believe in as we approach this gospel, as this, we approach this letter, pardon me. But he then also has to say, listen, besides all that, this is of first importance. Like he says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel. The first thing he says is that it's Christ resurrected through Jesus Christ in verse 1, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so Paul places his authority as an apostle first on the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Well, because he met the resurrected Jesus. That's how he was called into ministry, but that's also how he became a Christian, meeting Jesus, the resurrected. By the way, that's the only way any of us in this room here today have become a Christian. We have met the resurrected Jesus. That's how it happens for us here today. Secondly, it's about Christ crucified. Christ crucified who gave himself for our sins. The cross is the place where our freedom was purchased. As Pastor Tim Keller says, this is a great quote. Again, it's a bit strong, but this is what he says about the gospel, and I agree with him. The gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe. It's super honest and super valuable to actually allow God's Holy Spirit to convict us of who we really are, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the message of the cross. And as we get into it next week, it's going to become even more and more clear for us. Here's another thought for you. I want to put this out there because it's important in our culture today. Jesus didn't die for our lifestyles. He didn't die for our own view of our gender identities or for any of our liberation movements. Well, uh, he can speak into those things. He died for our sins. That's what he died for. So it's really important that we respect the words of the Apostle Paul. Why? He's the one who lays them all out for us. The book of Romans is a good example. But all through his letters and epistles and gospels, I mean, uh, books he writes about that. F- thirdly, Christ delivers. Deliver us from this present age. So the cross brings us forgiveness, which leads to our freedom from the bondage of sin. The resurrection provides us with new life in Christ, which, through the Holy Spirit, deliver us, delivers us from the word of this world. And finally, he can't contain himself and it would be to what I would hope we would do is the same thing. He ends with, to God be the glory. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so once again, my hope for you here today is this. You can trust the word of the world or the word of God, but only one will set you free. Let it be the word of God. You can trust God the Word of God. Pray with me, would you?